This afternoon we will be looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 20, 13 and following, but there's just a few verses that I'd like to highlight with you before we begin the sermon. 2 Chronicles 20 verse 20 says the following, So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And verse 27 to 30, Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem with, the Jeho- with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. So far the word of the Lord. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the joys and one of the privileges of serving on the mission field is that I get to work with national pastors, candidate pastors, as some of you know, that that's where they're at right now, they're aren't not fully ordained. But I get to sit down with them weekly, some of them weekly, sometimes bi-weekly, and encourage them in their, in their life and in their work and go over the sermon with them and, and those things. And we always begin our sessions the same way. We begin, I begin by asking them some questions about how they're doing with their family life. I ask them how they are serving their wife and looking after their children and spending time with them, how they are looking after their own physical health and how it is going with the congregation and everything. But one of the major questions that I I narrow in on is how is your prayer life? How's that going? This week, last week, this past month? And one of the reasons why we narrow in on their prayer life, well, it, it, there's a few reasons. I'll, I'll just share you a few reasons. One is that if, you do, if we do much for God, we much, must ask much of God. If we're going to do a lot for the Lord, and we want our men who are preachers and evangelists to do a lot for the Lord, we want them to ask much of God. That asking happens in prayer, of course. Or this. How dare we work for Christ without being much on our knees in prayer for him or with him? Or this, a man's influence in the world can be gauged not by his eloquence or his zeal or his orthodoxy or his energy, but by his prayers. No man can live aright who does not pray aright. Finally, to be little with God in prayer is to be little for God in service. And so we encourage them. I want to know as a a mentor and as a missionary that our men are faithful in prayer. I ask them to put a roster up in front of them in their their office or their study where they list all the congregation members. And I said, how often are you praying through them? Every one of them. And all of them have so many needs. But 
But it's also because, and the reason why we say this, is because we know that the one who they're praying to actually hears them. And that's a beautiful reality. And not only does he hear them, Scripture gives us such rich and almost unbelievable promises when we come to God in prayer. So J- Jesus comes to the earth and he, and he says, I want you to pray. Basically, Jesus says, I want you to pray more. John 14, verse 14 says, You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And John 16, verse 24, he says, I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Scripture suggests that through our prayers, we are able to change the course of history. I think it was John Piper who offered this, these words. He says, if you, off, if you offer the privilege of engage, engaging with God in such a way that your request could bring into being what would otherwise not come into being, so you're praying for something that would not come into being, but because you pray, God answers your prayer, and it comes into being, and you do not avail yourself of that privilege, you are a fool. And yes, prayer, as others have said, is somewhat like a gun. It's a very powerful tool. And God holds the safety gauge. I don't have a gun. I don't know how many of you have guns. Are you allowed to have a gun? But you have a safety gauge and you have other safety mechanisms. And, and God holds the safety mechanisms in our prayer. Such a powerful access to the throne room. God's safety gauge to all of our prayers, of course, is his will. We will not go outside of his will. And yet God gives us the privilege to pray and in our prayer to ask for the impossible. I'm well remembering the prayer of John Knox. John Knox wanted to see reformation in Scotland and he would pray, unceasingly he would pray, give me Scotland, O God, or I will die. He wanted to see people coming to faith all throughout the land. And our biggest problem generally in our work of ministry is that we pray with such small prayers. We dare not ask God for the big things. And this story before us is one of those big things. It's a fantastic story. It's uncanny. In fact, few of you, and I don't know if any of us, in the life that we live under the sun, before our days are numbered and end, will witness something of such extreme and awesome, magnificent power of God. The nations come together and decide, God, by his infinite power, make one nation fight another nation, another nation fight another nation, and so they completely finish each other, and all the people of Israel Judah have to do is be still and see the salvation of the Lord. Just watch and see my people. Fantastic. Awesome. But there is one truth that runs through that whole chapter then, and as we will unpack the chapter after the theme, it is a theme that does run through not only this chapter, but throughout all of Scripture. And the beautiful thing is, is that this theme continues to today. It doesn't stop. 
And when you die, it will rest with your children. And when they die, it will rest with their children and their great-grandchildren until the Lord Jesus comes back. And it's this theme that runs all through Scripture that the God who we pray to is the God who hears prayers. Psalm 65 verse 2 says, He is the hearer of prayers. That's his title. And God heard this prayer. And he moved powerfully. And so we come to our, our theme for this, is God who hears prayers. And, and the first thing that we need to realize is that the one who hears prayers can be fully trusted. You can trust him. You can trust him with your life. All your life. And the second thing is the one who hears prayers deserves to be worshipped exuberantly, passionately. Let's begin with the first point, that the one who hears prayers can be fully trusted. And, and you understand that praying, to pray is, is, is a statement of faith. It is, it's to trust the one that you're speaking to. The reason why you don't pray to anyone else, but you only pray to the Father, is because he's the one who deserves it. But he's also the one we can trust. And God hears the prayers of his children in this chapter beautifully. And in response to the prayers that he hears from his children as they pray on that platform in front of the, the altar, the bronze altar, as he hears their prayers, he does not delay, not today, he does not delay in responding to their prayers. He sends a prophet immediately. And this prophet comes to them and the prophet says, God has heard your prayers, do not fear, you have nothing to fear, this battle belongs to the Lord. It sounds a lot like Joshua. But I find what's interesting, if we continue to look at the life of Jehoshaphat, is that Jehoshaphat realizes that you have to believe the prophet. The last time he had a prophet come into an encounter regarding war. It's chapter 18. If you have time, you can read chapter 18. The last time he had an encounter with a prophet who spoke to them about war, he didn't listen. Remember, if you know the story, the children probably know the story. You have great teachers teaching the great Bible truths. The children know the story that Ahab and Jehoshaphat decided to get together, form a coalition, and they're going to fight against Ramath Gilead, people there. And Ahab calls in Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat comes. And, and, and when they sit down on their thrones, I think in Samaria, when they sit down, lots of false prophets come. One of them, I think his name was Zedekiah. And he even brought a bull's horn and says, with these horns, you're going to gouge the nations. And every false prophet says, go to war and the Lord will bless you. Go to war and the Lord will bless you. Go to war and the Lord will bless you. Go. And Jehoshaphat had enough sense to say, I mean, do you have any prophets here that tell the truth? And they go, oh, yeah, we got one prophet that tells the truth, but no, we don't like listening to him. His name is Micaiah, and, and whenever he comes, he gives us bad news. But yeah, if you want to hear from him, he, he can tell us the truth. So he comes over. Shares the news that, first he says, okay, go to war. And, they, and Ahab says, no, tell me the truth. So he says, no, no, don't go to war then. If you go to war, you're going to die. They're going to conquer you. They're going to pillage you. They're going to destroy you. And then Ahab turns to Jehoshaphat and says, see, I told you. And then someone else, Zedekiah, this prophet who had the bullhorns, came and slaps him. Who slapped you? 
He asks the prophet, and the prophet says, you will see when you close the door after the war. And Jehoshaphat, on this day, should have packed up his suitcase, jumped on the next train, and got back to Jerusalem. Because that's what you do when you hear a word from the Lord. And he didn't. He went to battle. And you know the story. They thought he was Ahab. Ahab said, I'll undress. I'll just dress like a commoner. You dress like a king. And that was a good idea. And they were about to kill Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat said, no, 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 no. And they didn't kill Jehoshaphat, but they shot a, 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 shot a, a, a arrow and they killed Ahab. Ahab died. And Jehoshaphat, because God is careful and diligent in teaching us lessons, and he's still teaching his people's lessons today, Jehoshaphat went home. And the next time God sends a prophet to him to tell him what was to come about, Jehoshaphat said, amen, amen, that's the truth. And when he took that word from the prophet, he encourages his people to follow the word. That is the word of the Lord. It still took Jehoshaphat, and this is an important lesson in prayer, that it still took Jehoshaphat after he prayed to realize that you have to believe the word that comes to you from the Lord. There was no theophany. A theophany is some great appearance of God in a cloud or in a flame of fire or something like that. There was no theophany. God did not come into the temple. He did not show his glory. He did not send an angel in front of them. None of that. All he sends to his people at this time, and it's the same thing he sends to us today, all he sends to us is his word. And his people had to believe that word. But they still had to get up the next morning. They still had to get up the next morning. So they have this news. The prophet says, do not fear, do not worry. The battle belongs to the Lord. To stand and watch the work of the Lord now. And they say, beautiful. And they, and they, and they turn around in response and worship and they praise God. And then they went to bed. And the next morning, they had to get up. And when they got up, Jehoshaphat had to encourage the people again. As I was reading this, I said, well, why does he have to encourage them again? They just received word from the Lord that they're going to win the battle. The prophet came, the prophet left. And the good news resides. And even Jehoshaphat bowed his face in verse 18 with his face to the ground. And all Judah and all the inhabitants bowed before the Lord. And they all worshipped. And the Korathites and the Korahites, they sang praises. But early the next morning, this is what Jehoshaphat does. He stands up and he says, Hear, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. You have to pray. And you have to believe. And that's important in your Christian walk. And Jehoshaphat realized that. And so he prays, receives a word from the Lord, and then he says, now, people, you have to believe. And again, we're going to say in our hearts, that is fine, Pastor Ian. That's what they call me in Papua New Guinea. That's fine, Pastor Ian. But I'm not receiving a prophet at my doorstep. 
telling me how I need to arrange this situation with my family or how I'm going to deal with this burden, how am I going to deal with this death, this consequence, this whatever. I'm not receiving a word like that from the Lord. And in some ways, beloved, you are. It's interesting that in Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1 says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by whom? I'll say it again. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. Thank you. We are very interactive in lay. He spoke through the, by the prophets. But the prophets have all been fulfilled. Jesus is the great prophet. He's the great king. And he's the great high priest. He satisfied all the requirements of all three offices. And we don't need them anymore. Except now that we are prophet, priest, and king in Christ. So he spoke in the past by the fathers through the prophets. But listen to this. Has in these last days spoken to us the New Covenant people, the New Testament people. He's spoken to us by His Son, whom whom He has appointed heirs of all things, through whom also He made the whole world. He's still speaking to us. What gives us courage, beloved, to wake up every morning and to fight the fight of faith? Keep loving our wives and keep loving our husbands and keep loving our children and keep teaching them. Keep looking after our grandkids and keep helping the community that we're serving in. What gets us up every morning to keep serving is the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the enthronement of Christ. That's what keeps us going. And we have a cachet of promises for every situation in our lives spoken in the scriptures or spoken by Christ, fulfilled in Christ. We have a huge cachet that we're carrying around. And we are well suited, beloved, to meet every oppression. We're well suited, beloved, to meet every enemy, the sin, the world, the devil, the three sworn enemies. We are well equipped. Jesus says to you this afternoon, I am with you. And Jesus says, I will never leave you. And Jesus says, I will give you rest. And Jesus says, do not fear even those who kill the body. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus says, you will live even though you die. And Jesus says, where I am, there you also be. And every promise in the old and new covenant, find their yes in Jesus Christ. He has spoken to us, and beloved, he's still speaking. Do you believe that? This text goes on and it becomes even more remarkable. As soon as you start unpacking a text, you're like, whoa, there's a lot here. But you, you know what they do when they go out? Jehoshaphat consults with some of his men. I don't know who. And some of his men, maybe the Kothites, maybe the Korites, maybe the singers, they said, you know what, Jehoshaphat? You know what we need to do? We need to get a choir together. Who goes to battle with a choir? Who prepares for war with a choir leading them? You know, when you're singing to the Lord, you're not really well prepared to fight. 
you're high, you're, you're, high, you're lifted high, your eyes are focused on heaven, and you're just enjoying the song and the worship, and, and you become extremely vulnerable. Short story. I remember in Papua New Guinea, four years ago now, there was a, kind of some civil unrest in Ley. And I talked a little bit about this this morning, but part of the civil unrest were stopped by the police. They were about to cause, cause great havoc in, in, in the Ley city. And what they did after they were stopped by the police, they went around the back, a, side, a back street, and it's hard for you to picture all this, of course, and went through the back into a settlement. And as these raiders and marauders and these this people who are trying to fight against an eth- another ethnic group, there's lots of ethnic groups in Papua New Guinea, what they did, they just started pillaging, even killing and scaring everybody in the settlement. And so what happened was everybody started running towards the front of the settlement where our church was. That's about two kilometer distance. I saw women fainting, women crying, kids crying. And so we... At that night, we, the afternoon, we brought people to another part of the town and said, okay, hope you'll be safe. But we left the, the people who lived in the manse by our church said, we, we'll stay here. We'll stay here. They said, that's okay. That's good. And the next night, I received a call at 8 o'clock in the evening. from the, It wasn't a pastor. It was an elder because we didn't have a pastor at that time staying in the manse. And the elder called me and said, our lights are off. We're lying on the floor. We hear that the raiders are back. We're worried that we're going to die. This was 8 o'clock at night. It's dark at 6. We had no way of, of getting there at that point. The whole city was in unrest. I got off the phone and I, I didn't know what to say. I said, I'll call you back. And so I consulted with some of our other missionaries and we decided after consultation that the best thing to do was to call them back Tell them to throw on the lights and start singing. Sounds wise. And so we did. We called them back and we said, turn your lights on. If it's the end of your life, you may as well go out praising God. But we don't think it is. But we want you to know and we want them to know that you have the confidence of Christ in you. That you have prayed for your safety, you have prayed for your protection, and now praise the God you prayed to. And know that he will watch over you, and that he has a purpose in all things, and a good and holy righteous plan. And so they did. They started singing. They turned the lights on and praised the Lord. Thankfully, nothing happened that night, and they are safe, and they're here to tell the story today. But the story is the same. That God does want us to go out in faith and sing and praise him in all the things that we're involved with. And yet some of us will say, well, this story is still a little bit too fantastic for for our new covenant people. It's just too hard to to grapple with the story. A bunch of singers going out before the army, and as they approach, they get to the top of a hill. As they look down, they just see bodies. Bodies. In fact, as they start singing, God starts to work on the backside, and then the people from Mount Seir are fought against by the Ammonites and the Moabites, and then they decide to fight against each other, and then they're all finished as they were singing. So that's just too fantastic. 
Why can't God move like this in my marriage? Why can't God do something so awesome and so spectacular in the lives of my children or in the work that I'm involved with? Why do I have to carry so many burdens when there's stories like this and it's the same God? I don't know if you ask those kind of questions, but I regularly do. It seems some people say when I pray, I receive no answer and I have no confidence to keep on going. I've had people tell me that. I believe at least someone who grew up in the church has shared with me, he said, I don't think God answers prayers and so I'm not going to pray anymore. It's a waste of time. And I say to this brother and I say to you, that's a lie. If you are a child of God, redeemed by Christ, that's a lie. You have to understand, first and foremost, beloved, that the Bible is full of prayers, answered prayers. There are 75 prayers in Scripture, and almost all of them are answered in the affirmative. The prayer of Hannah, the prayer of Eliezer, the servant of of Abraham, the prayer of Gideon, Jephthah, Samson, you name it. There are so many prayers. Simeon, Anna. So many prayers, so many prayers. You know what? It's not extraordinary for God to answer the prayers in the affirmative. That's not extraordinary. It's normal for God to answer prayers in the affirmative. It's normal for God to say, yes, I will satisfy the need of my child. I will do this. That's normal. I challenge you, if you haven't, to begin recording the requests you make of God in prayer. Some of you are very good at this, and I'm very, very poor. I have booklets everywhere all over my house, of prayer booklets that I've started and I've lost. And I, I get back to them five years later, I'm like, wow, God has answered all of those prayers. But I forget to record the prayer and record the answer. And I forget to praise God then for the answer. But Calvin used to say, nothing fortifies our prayer life and our spiritual walk with Christ more than answered prayer. And if that's true, then when God answers prayer, we need to record it so that we are spurred on more to keep on praying. And as he answers that prayer, to spur on more and not to forget in each interval of time that he answers. Sometimes it's weekly, sometimes it's a month, sometimes it's years later, sometimes it's 60 years later. Whatever the case may be, to thank him and worship him for his answer. It's true, beloved, and this is the hard reality, or you could say the great paradox to pray, to prayer. Prayer is quite paradoxical in that God says, you can ask anything and I will give it to you, and yet he holds limits to according to his will. That's kind of hard for us to understand. But there are only four things that can happen with your prayer. And remember, God loves you and he cares for his children. There's four things that can happen when you pray. Most of you know all this already. This is not new. The number one thing that can happen when you pray is God answers and says yes. And he opens a door when you didn't think there was a door that could be opened. Say yes. The other thing he could say is no. He knows our life. 
If he said yes to all of our prayers, we would be the most miserable of all people. There are times where he has to say no. For our sake, for our children's sake, for our spouse's sake, for the church's sake, for his kingdom's sake, he has to say no. He said no to his own son for the salvation of many. As he did to Joseph. I'm sure Joseph wanted to go back home after he was stuck in Egypt. And God said no. Sometimes God says wait. Often he says wait. He has to prepare us for the answer. He has to grow our faith. He has to change us. He has to prepare us to receive the answer. It's not time yet. Often in the area of relationships, God often says, wait, don't rush in relationships. There's no reason for rushing. Sometimes God says, wait. Sometimes God says, wait 80 years. You know, when Anna Anna and Simeon were waiting for the Messiah to come, they had to wait many, many years. Many years. And finally the Messiah comes and now we can die in peace. Waiting. And sometimes God says, repent. In fact, I would argue that often there's repentance that's needed. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and do my will and depart from their wicked ways, I will heal their land. I will hear their prayers and heal their land. So the only thing that's stopping God from healing their land or hearing their prayers is a hard heart. There's some sin that has not been dealt with. If you are harboring sin in your life, you are a closet sinner, you hold those sins, but you don't let other people know, and you're just acting like you're walking with the Lord in faith and in holiness and purity and righteousness, and you expect God to hear your prayers, God's, God can't be mocked. And God's not asking us all to be perfect like Christ. Well, he is asking us to be perfect like Christ. But he realizes our weaknesses. He realizes that we're only dust. He realizes that we, we, we crumble under pressure and temptation often overtakes us. He knows our weaknesses. But he wants us to be honest. He answered the prayers of David, who was a grave sinner. He did not answer the prayers of Saul. The difference was Humility. And confession. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's a lot of things. But God sometimes says. Before he answers a prayer. He says to his people. Repent. I'm reminded of Isaiah 1 verse 15. Isaiah 1 verse 15 says the following words. It says. When you spread out your hands. I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers. I will not hear. And God doesn't leave people hanging. Well, why not? Why would you not hear our prayers? God says, because, verse 15, at the end it says, your hands are full of blood. Your hands are full of blood. You got blood on your hands. You're a murderer. Unless you repent, I won't listen to you. Some of us are not murderers, but we may have hate in our hearts for people that we haven't confessed. Some of us may be hiding secret sins in the area of sexuality. I don't know. But if you want God to hear your prayers, I know this, that you need to confess them. And you need to flee to Christ for your prayers to be heard. 
But even in all of that, even in the struggle, you need to understand that there is a God who hears prayers and he is establishing a purpose for you, for his church, and for his church of all ages. And you're just one small player in a huge, big spectrum of God's eternal activity to bring about a people to himself. I think of Job. Job had lost all of his children. And Job, at the time of suffering, says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away but I will still bless the name of the Lord. I will still pray. I will still pray. I will keep on praying. I think the story of Job, I don't want to go too far on the story of Job, but I think the story of Job was there, not merely for Job at all. I think it was there to show that a testimony of God's power in the heavenly realms and the earth below, the demonic world. I'm in control. And number two, I think the story of Job is meant to encourage every single soul that has lived after Job to be encouraged and strengthened even in the faiths of death. To struggle with God and know that God is still king. But what's the response to all this? We're going to close up. What's the response to all this? How how, how do you deal with a God who you know hears prayers? Well, we've already answered that question. The only way that you can properly function before a God who hears prayers is to worship him. You don't need any rocket science for this. This is just basic theology. That when God is a God who loves you and cares for you and sends his son to minister his grace in your life and he answers your prayers and he's fulfilling his purpose in your life, the only thing you can do is worship him. Praise him. That's what they did. They praised him for the salvation that he wrought. He worked salvation. And salvation in the Old Covenant is always connected to saving his people. It's fulfilled in Christ with a deeper definition in the New Covenant. But in the Old Covenant, it's always saving his people from disaster, from the enemy, from. And he saved them. He was their savior. And there are many times, if if you look at the history of the church, there are in the Old and New Covenant, there are many times when God has saved his people that the response was worship. A new song fills the air. Every time you read the word new song, a new song comes at the, at the end of a redemptive work. So God brings his people through Egypt. New song. Miriam and the, her sisters sang praises to God. King David, they come in from the war. David wins the battle and they sing a song. David brings in the ark, they sing a song. Um, Deborah, they're singing a song. Mary sings a song. There's so many songs in scripture, even outside the book of Psalms, that are just worshiping the God who who saved them, who, who answered their prayers. We have every reason, beloved, to to be a people of, of worship in the face of prayer. Even when God says, wait. I want to finish with this. One of the least prayed for events in history, you can take me to task on this if you want, but I think one of the least prayed for events in history 
is the death and resurrection of Christ. Do you know that? The people of Israel from the time of Abraham were waiting for the Messiah. And all of them thought that he would bring in a new world order. Not a crucified Savior. They read it in Isaiah, but they didn't understand it. There was nobody praying for the most important event in their life. The most important event that makes, brings you from darkness to life, from death to life, from darkness into light. The most important event in the face of history and all of history. Even the secularists have to realize this. The biggest event is the death and resurrection of Christ. And it's the least prayed for event. If you can find text in the Bible that shows me that I'm wrong, I will honor you with a Tim Hortons copy. Why do I say that? Because God is in so much control of your life that you don't even know what you need. You don't even know what to pray for half the time. No one prayed for the death and the resurrection of Christ and that's the most important thing in our life. And yet, even after, after Jesus rose from the dead, because they weren't praying, they weren't celebrating, they weren't worshiping, they did worship him, but they were, they were afraid. They didn't know how to deal with this resurrected Messiah. And they were afraid of him, and then they were worshiping him. And... But what's beautiful, what's beautiful about our resurrected Messiah who who accomplished all that Jehoshaphat couldn't accomplish and more, who was the savior of our, of our souls, the most beautiful event that shows that prayer wasn't even prayed for, but yet worship came forth from this non-prayer, is when Jesus went up to heaven. See, this, none of this happened on earth, but when Jesus went up to heaven, everyone sang this new song. Because there was a great act of salvation. They sang this new song, chapter 5 verse, in Revelation, verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation, you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels all around the throne, living creatures and elders, and the number of them were 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands more, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that is in them, heard them saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him, who lived forever and ever. That is our Savior, who did the most important thing that we could have done in our life, outside of prayer, but demands our worship. And now we stand on the other side of Jehoshaphat. Now we stand on the other side of the cross and resurrection. We are now in the new covenant. Many years past the death and resurrection. And yet there is a prayer that we need to continue to make and we can make. That we know that Christ answers on account of that death. I think of Paul in Romans chapter 7 verse 24. He says, what a wretched man that I am. Who can save me from this body of death? Who can save me? 
See, now we're going back to prayer. Now we're realizing that the only one who can save us, the only one who can set us free, the only one who has conquered all, has conquered sin, death, and, and, and Satan, the one who is going to make us a home in heaven, the only one is Christ. And in his name we pray. And, he, and we ask, who can, sep- who can save us from this body of death? And the answer is Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we worship. And so we worship. Christ says to you this afternoon, I am the way, the truth, and your life. No one can come to the Father except by me. And so we worship him. And so we pray. And we need to realize that because of Christ, as we shared this morning, because of Christ, our prayers are not resounding off this roof and bouncing back at us. Or entering into cyberspace and just getting lost in some, somewhere out there. No, our prayers are going right into the throne room. And the one who has saved us, the one who has delivered us, knows all of our needs. He knows more than we can ask for. He knows exactly what we need. And all we can do in response to all of that is worship his most holy name. And I encourage you, beloved, for the one who answers your prayers and the one who hears your prayers, demands and deserves all of your worship. Amen.